Bing bong. I am back with another edition of the State of Bitcoin podcast. And if you're listening to this on the Fountain app or any podcasting 2.0 app, feel free to leave me a boost and give me a little comment. And I will read it at the beginning of the show. We'll make it a little fun, a little interactive. So be sure to do that. And shout out to everybody that left me a boost previously. Uh, they were all great. Just leave a little comment. Give me a little note here or there. Uh, yeah, so let's do that. Um, but on that note, we had an outstanding show. I had Nico from Simply Bitcoin. And Nico gets into a little bit of his orange pill story, kind of how he found Bitcoin. Uh, more of the mission of Simply Bitcoin. And they do an amazing, amazing, amazing job. So be sure to check them out at Simply Bitcoin. Then we get into you know, how Bitcoin's changed him, how it's how it's changed his perspective on things, how it's kind of had that aha moment. Then we get into the ETH versus Bitcoin debate. And then we get into six current event stories, the Bitcoin community rallying around Hodlnot. Uh, you know, Nico knows Hodlnot personally, so he gets a little bit into that. Um, it's a great story. So check out the show notes for ways you can do donate, but also check out defendingbtc.com. If you feel inclined to donate, um, you know, help out a fellow pleb there, uh, defending the good word of Bitcoin. And we talk about the Jackson Hole Federal Reserve meeting this Friday, President Biden announcing student loan forgiveness, BitBoy crypto suing Adzi as the bear market toxicity continues, Samsung securities filing for Bitcoin and crypto exchange in South Korea. And lastly, the BitBlock Boom conference here in Austin, the very maxi conference that I'm at right now. So if you want to see some boots on the ground coverage, follow me at Green Candle IT. But as always, this is not financial advice. And everything you hear in this podcast is not financial advice and strictly your opinion. So on that note, let's get into the show. Whoosh. Bing bong. We are live with another edition of the State of Bitcoin podcast. But first, I'd like to thank everybody that streamed me some sats on Fountain and all those podcasting 2.0 apps. Uh, if you send me a boost, uh, write a little comment. I'll read them. I got a few boosts and nobody left a comment. So next time uh, you guys do that, just go ahead and uh, leave a little bit of a comment and we can have some fun and read them pre-show. But I got a very special guest I met him at the financial summit. We got Nico from Simple Simply Bitcoin. Uh, Nico, how you doing today? Man, I'm doing great, man. Thank you so much for the invite. I'm happy to be here. Of course, of course. So you do a, quite a few things in the Bitcoin space. Um, so, like according to your uh, little link you got in your Twitter, uh, you host Simply Bitcoin. You host ASIC Miners, and you also host the Bitvolt podcast. Uh, so, uh, what got you like into Bitcoin and how did you kind of get started, uh, you know, just taking the dive full in and, uh, get that orange bill? Yeah. Um, so I got into Bitcoin 2016. I was not in a good situation in my life. Uh, just, I was working a minimum wage job. I just, I was not doing so hot. And, uh, my cousin came to visit me from Venezuela and I asked him what he was doing, and he basically told me he was like mining Bitcoin, but in the way that he said it to me was like magic internet money. And I just got so interested. I really wanted to escape my situation. So 
I sold everything I had. I borrowed money from my mother. I borrowed money from my ex-girlfriend and I jumped on a plane, went to Venezuela, went to my uncle. And I told him, Hey, you know, can I work for you? He said, no, I'm not, not going to pay you a dime, but I will teach you everything that I know. And that was my initiation into Bitcoin. I have not looked back since um, around 2019, 2020. Uh, things were going well enough for me that I was able to, you know, go full time. And that's really when I started Simply Bitcoin because I had a lot of time on my hands. Um, and I, dude, it just blew my mind how well it was received by the community. Uh, it opened a lot of opportunities, opened a lot of doors. Um, and dude, like, uh, I don't know, man, I really believe in good karma. I really believe in just, you know, you help other people, they help you. And I was really, really fortunate enough, privileged, uh, to get invited to, uh, the Bitcoin conference, the first one in Miami, 2021. Um, and dude, ever since that, like, holy crap, uh, just conferences, unconfiscatable. Um, and just dude, like it, it's, I I'm lost for words, man. And I'm really blessed that the community, you know, received, uh, simply Bitcoin the way it did. We were one of the first well-known Bitcoin shows. There's a lot of podcasts before, but we wanted to do something different, a little bit different format. So we really did like a TV show style type of thing. It's a very unique format. And, uh, dude, like it was really well received by the community. I, I, like, I don't even know, man, things are just happening so fast to be honest. Yeah, man. It seems like everything that kind of goes along in this Bitcoin space, it just kind of, you know, moves really quickly. Right. Um, you know, maybe for better or for worse, but I mean, it seems like everything's going really well for you guys. It's simply Bitcoin. Uh, so, you know, what was like the, the, what's your overarching mission for simply Bitcoin? You know, I, I know you guys do a little bit of a different show, uh, like you said, it's not necessarily a podcast. It's more like TV format. You know, I know you guys do it on Twitter spaces and everything as well. You know, what's like kind of the, the overall goal for the show? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. So um, we started as a Bitcoin show and I was like, OK, this is tech, you know, it's technology. And then what I think most Bitcoiners realize after a while doing a Bitcoin show is that you realize it's really a political show. It's not so much political in the Democrat, Republican, right, left sense. It's more so because you realize that Bitcoin in itself is one of the most powerful political movements in the world. Um, but it's all inclusive. So it helps people on the left, helps people on the right. Um, it really frees people. So one of the goals at Simply Bitcoin is to really wake people up from the fiat politics, like I say. Um, and make them realize, hey, uh, it's not the people on the left that is causing your problems, not the people on the right that is causing your problems. It's the money. It's stealing from you. Um, you want to change things. You want a better life for you, your family, your future. You really got to fundamentally change the money. Uh, if you don't change the money, things won't change. Uh, you know, the Republicans will take back power most likely in November. So. <laughs> like it won't change anything. Um, and then the D Democrats will probably take back, you know, eventually, and it will just keep going back and forth. And then the entire time they're blaming the other political parties for your issues, but the fundamental, it comes down to a fundamental problem. The money's broken. The money's stealing from everybody. Like every time the U S government prints to send money to the Ukraine, 
to pay for war, to pay for social programs, et cetera, et cetera. They're literally stealing from you. Like if you are earning in dollars, you're saving in dollars, you have a $20 bill in your wallet, right? That thing is the slowly the purchasing power is just being redistributed from that to the government. And they're just going to keep doing it. And then Bitcoin comes along and it's basically like, hey, I can memorize these 12, 24 words. I can store them in my mind and you can't steal from me anymore. Like that's basically it. So what we try to do at Simply Bitcoin is we try to wake people up from the fiat matrix and just be like, yo, dude, focus on what is actually happening here. Stop trying to kill the other side. That won't do anything. You really just have to opt out. And if enough people opt out, if enough people say, hey, I don't want to be stolen from anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. We will win this thing. Like we'll win this thing hard and there's nothing they could do about it. But witnessing them try to maintain control is fascinating. Like it, August 10th, the United Nations released a report saying that they wanted to de-incentivize the adoption of Bitcoin and shitcoins in developing countries, even though we know that developing countries need it the most because of inflation, because of totalitarianism, but they don't give a flying fuck. Like what, what they want to do is they, they want to remain in power. Like that's what it's all about. That's what it's always been about, you know? So witnessing these old institutions that have amassed this crazy amount of power over the decades trying to remain relevant is absolutely fascinating. And if we don't provide at least a counter narrative to the legacy media, no one else will. Right. So that's what we try to do. at simply Bitcoin. We are, we try to be at the, we try to be the vanguard of information and truth in this decentralized peaceful revolution that we are living through. Um, and dude, like every day I'm like, I can't believe I'm living through this pivotal moment in history, it's absolutely mind blowing, but there's so much noise. There's so much spin. There's so much propaganda. There's so much misrepresentation. It's just, it's, it's, it's crazy, but you have to stay on top of it. And the way that you do that is by going to the belly of the beast of the people of your enemies, going to Bloomberg, going to the financial times, looking out for any article that, you know, talks negatively about Bitcoin, hit pieces on El Salvador, hit pieces on Naim Bukele and reading them and exposing them for the frauds that they are, like the misrepresentations that they that they they try to convince people of. And you also have to understand that you're getting into the mind of your enemy by consuming this media. You're understanding how they think, right? How the financial elite of the of the fiat financial system think and how they feel about you, right? It's one thing just staying in your Bitcoin echo chamber which uh, with a bunch of plebs on Twitter and it's just going back and forth. Oh yeah, this is the best, you know, got to eat steak and go, whatever. Those things are great and dandy, but this is a war. This is an information war. This is about winning the hearts and minds. And I really believe that you do that through truth. You just, you get that truth out either through mimetic warfare videos, like what you're doing. It's just, you got to overcome their bullshit and they are losing. They know they're losing, which is why they're resorting a lot to, um, a lot of uh, censorship these days, you know, deplatforming, all that. That all stems from the fact that these people were so used to having a monopoly on information for so long 
And then Bitcoin, I mean, the, the internet, right, was just like, no, people could just talk amongst each other. And now Bitcoin is doing the same for money. All these powerful institutions were just like, yo, like we were always in control. This is up to us. And then Bitcoin's like, no, no, that doesn't work anymore. And that's really the crazy, that's really what's causing the chaos right now. And what we try to do at Simply Bitcoin is to analyze it, break it down and try to make it easily understandable for our viewers. Yeah, that's great stuff. And you guys do an outstanding job there. You know, I've tuned into you know, a few episodes. And yeah, like I said, I think uh, you guys are doing an excellent job. But I think like the overarching message and, and kind of what you're trying to get people to, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, is trying to get that aha moment. You know, I think like every Bitcoiner kind of has that moment where they find Bitcoin and then they realize, okay, well, you know, money touches all these things. Do you think that, or do you have like a specific moment that, you know, when you found Bitcoin that kind of gave you that moment that, okay, this whole system's really fucked up. And, you know, as Bitcoiners say, we can fix the money and it would fix the world essentially. Um, dude, I had, I had a couple aha moments like Bitcoin is like that. Um, so many where you're just like, holy crap. And then you have a bunch where it's like the government's going to try to ban this thing. And it's like, you just had to go through every single possibility of just like, holy crap. Um, I've had so many throughout the years the, the Bitcoin rabbit hole is never ending. Uh, and it's crazy because you meet Bitcoiners that are a couple years in front of your rabbit hole and holy crap are it's like they have some they see what you know you're going to see in a couple years, but they're still falling through it, too. And they come through to new realizations. But what I've noticed in these individuals is. The freedom that they feel right, and I think that's something that people don't quite understand when you have total control over your money, over your currency, over your future, over your energy, over your time. Um, it's an extremely liberating experience. And for you to say, Hey, um, not even the U S government, you know, of course they could put you in a box, they could torture you, you get whatever, but they can't do it effectively. And on a wide scale, they could definitely get some individuals and do this and this and that. But, if you're paying your taxes, if you're being a good citizen, whatever is like, what are they going to do? You know, they have to show their hand. They have to basically come out and say, hey, yes, we want people earning in a money that loses value by design. Yes, we want that, you know, and that's going to be a very hard thing for them to market now that they have competition, which before they had done. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's there's a lot of great stuff there and a lot to unpack. But um, you know, like I like you said, I think that at the end of the day, there's Bitcoiners, no matter what stage they're in, they're always kind of learning and always kind of taking things in, and yeah, just realizing so many things got fucked up along the way with this monetary policy. But um, you know, like you said, or a little bit earlier in your rant, there is a lot of noise out there. And so, you know, for people kind of just finding Bitcoin, you know, maybe they hear about the, you know, Ethereum or some of these other shit coins in the merge. You know, we were uh, I was lucky enough to join you at the financial summit and I heard like, a, you know, you had a great Ethereum versus Bitcoin debate. Um, so, like, you know, what would you do to, to, to who's somebody who approaches you and kind of ask you more so about Ethereum opposed to Bitcoin? Like, how do you kind of sway that person to say, you know, it's Bitcoin and Bitcoin only? 
Yeah, I mean, like, look, like shitcoiners, you know, I think that they have different goals than Bitcoiners. Uh, Bitcoiners are really, it's about separating money and state. Um, if you don't separate money from state, you kind of end up with the status quo. Um, if you don't, and that also goes down to the design philosophy and the architectural philosophy, right? Because Ethereum has so many features and so much more smart contract capability, et cetera, et cetera, it's, it's a lot more hardware intensive, meaning you need a, a specific, you need a, a certain amount of hardware capacity in order to run an Ethereum node. That causes the majority because the barrier to entry is just very high, right? You, you, you buy a Bitcoin node, this thing is like, you know, it could be anywhere between 300 and 900 if you want it pre-made. Point is though, like it's affordable. It's not, you know, super cheap, but it's affordable. You could do it super cheap by just running one on your computer if you really want to. Ethereum, you can't do that. It's very, very hardware intensive, meaning you need to spend thousands of dollars just to run a node. So what happens? The majority of Ethereum nodes are, and we know this, it's verifiable. Uh, the majority of Ethereum nodes, around 60%, are run on Amazon web servers. Sorry, on servers. Of that 60%, 50% of that are run on Amazon web servers. And then the rest are run on Oracle, Google, and a bunch of other tech companies, but it's it's really a handful. So if the majority of your nodes of your network are run by a handful of companies, it's just a matter of time between before the US government starts knocking and says, hey, you guys need to run something called an OFAC compliant node. And OFA, OFAC is the Office of Foreign Asset Control. They're basically, they're, they get to decide what people, what companies, what American companies, who they can do business with overseas. They're responsible with the sanctions, right? So US current, current U.S. sanction policy is not compatible with how Bitcoin works, right? Bitcoin is the money of enemies. Anyone could use Bitcoin. Problem with Ethereum is that the U.S. government really already has them by the ball sack. And not only that, when they migrate to proof of stake, it becomes even worse because the biggest stakers are exchanges. And I was telling you this stuff before it even happened. And what we've witnessed in the last two weeks, which is obvious if you look at the game theory, um, the Office of Foreign Asset Control, the U.S. Treasury, sanctioned for the first time in its history an open source software. Usually they sanction an individual. Usually they sanction a, uh, a country. But for the first time in its history, they are sanctioned in software. Why were they doing that? They were sending a message saying, hey, the United States government is still in control here, right? How long until they say, hey, you can only run an OFAC compliant Bitcoin node or you're breaking sanctions? They're already setting the precedent. Bitcoin is an open source software. So how long until they, it's, it's like in a couple of years, you don't think it's going to be too crazy after what we've witnessed the last two years? Of course it's going to happen. And if you're cryptocurrency and only bitcoin has achieved this is not fully decentralized it will inevitably be captured by regulators by governments so again if you're trying to get rich trying to get a lambo trying to speculate on on ethereum you know they have a hell they have a hell of a marketing team right they'll say hey it's deflationary hey it's whatever dude ethereum doesn't have a, a cap supply 
you're really going by whatever Vitalik says, whatever the foundation says, and you're taking what they say at face value, period. And if we look at history, so many examples of societies starting out with sound money and then push comes to shove and that specific government has so much political pressure and they start debasing the currency to print more money, to pay for the things, to pay for government services that they paid their promised their people to get votes. And they start debasing their money, the currency, and it doesn't become sound. And you have the moral decay of society that I believe comes with the debasement of currency, right? And with Ethereum, it doesn't fix any of those issues because the fact is that the monetary policy of Ethereum is still in the hands of human beings and absolute power corrupts absolutely. So if you have a group of individuals, and I'm not telling, I'm not saying that Vitalik or any of the people in the Ethereum Foundation are necessarily evil. But the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Now, what Bitcoin did is it separated the monetary policy out of the hands of human beings, meaning even if I'm Michael Saylor and I say, hey, I want to change the cap supply of Bitcoin, you couldn't unless you convinced everybody that was running a node to change that code and to fork Bitcoin. Now, if I'm running a node, if I'm a little pleb that has 0.0001 Bitcoin, what incentive do I have to change and run that software that changed the cap supply of Bitcoin? None. Now, with Ethereum, they could force that because, again, only a handful of companies are running Ethereum servers. I mean, Ethereum nodes. 60%, the majority are running that. So the U.S. government on a theoretical basis, not even theoretical anymore because it's starting to play out can and will capture this and they will change it to better fit their own survival and the bureaucracy really depends right on their ability to print an unlimited amount of money that's how they pay themselves that's how they pay for the social programs to get votes that's how they pay for the wars to pay off the defense contractors that's how they do those things and bitcoin basically says dude it doesn't matter how powerful you are unless you convince everybody. It's not democratic. It's not consensus. It's like, yo, unless you convince everybody running their own independent node, hey, these are the changes. You go with it. Can't do anything. You're just going to be running a shitcoin, a fork of Bitcoin. And that's actually what happened in 2017 when the most powerful mining conglomerates got together and they tried to make changes to the Bitcoin network, making bigger blocks. But the problem is that if they made bigger blocks, they would increase the hardware requirement to run a node, meaning they would be sacrificing decentralization. And they tried to do that, the most powerful Bitcoin companies, and they couldn't because the community said, nah. With Ethereum, they can't say nah because they're not the ones actually running the servers. Companies are. And companies are extremely prone to government coercion a company at the end of the day they just want to pay they just want to make money they want to pay their employees employees want to go home it's up to the individual to make this change and bitcoin empowers the individual and ethereum does not ethereum empowers the ethereum foundation and you're getting along you're, and people are going along the ride in the hopes of riches whereas in bitcoiners Bitcoin empowers you, the individual, if you take self-custody. Ideally, you should run your own node. 
but it empowers you and only you. And that's it. There is no, like Michael Saylor is going to benefit from the pump just as much as you. Period. Full stop. He runs a node and he's like, yo, I want to change this to enrich myself. You're looking at him like, yeah, dude, that's not going to work. Right? So that's the fundamental difference between something like Ethereum, something like XRP, and something like Bitcoin. Bitcoin put decentralization above all, which is why it's very simple. It's not complicated, simple by design. And Ethereum does all these, has all these bells and whistles, but what they never talk about is what they've sacrificed in order to make those bells and whistles. So yeah, that's the difference between the two. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, you just nailed it right on the head. And I think, you know, a big aspect of it too is what your values are, right? So, you know, you talked a little bit about the values of uh, Ethereum Foundation and, and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I'm not sitting here saying those guys are evil, but generally speaking, I hear, you know, which one's going to moon next? Uh, you know, they're talking more so about like the fiat price when it comes to the shit coins and everything else. And Bitcoiners are really, you know, more about like that, like you said, that individual sovereignty and, you know, kind of just being around that. And, you know, something that I think is really cool that's going around right now is, you know, the, the Bitcoin community is really rallying around Hodlnot. So if you haven't really heard about this saga, Hodlnot, he's a Bitcoin Twitter nim uh, who works as the editor for Citadel 21. And he's uh, being sued by Craig Wright in a defamation suit because uh, Craig Wright is claiming that he is Satoshi and anybody that kind of goes against him, he's been suing. He already sued Peter McCormick and everything like that. And so the Bitcoin community has uh, come in and, uh, you know, to, to the help of Hodlnot um, because, you know, Craig Wright, you know, say what you want about him, but he's a really wealthy individual. So he can pay a lot of these lawyers and, and lawyers cost a lot of money. And so uh, I think the Bitcoin community has donated over 50 Bitcoin uh, towards the legal cost of Hodlnot so far. So a lot of great stuff going on there. So, uh, you know, what do you think about this entire saga and the Bitcoin community kind of rallying behind Hodlnot? Yeah, um, it's not only Hodlnot. Uh, CSW is attacking all Bitcoiners. Uh, he is trying to silence dissenting speech through fear and intimidation. Um, if he successfully silences hot or not, um, other people will be fearful to speak out in the fear of being sued into oblivion. Most countries don't have the speech protections that the United States has, right? So the UK, Europe has terrible libel laws where, you know, if you speak negatively about someone, they could sue you and they could tell you and basically get you to shut up. Right. But attacking you financially. And that's exactly what CSW is trying to do. He's trying to go after hot not to send a message to all Bitcoiners to say, hey, you know, shut up or else I'll sue you. Um, now, the silver lining is. The silver lining is that uh, the community rallied around him. Uh, I think he's raised like 54 Bitcoin, which is like a million dollars and change current price. And I've, he's been able to successfully kind of keep the beasts at bay, so to speak, um, which is extremely promising. It's, it's very awesome. Um, and let's see where this goes. I, 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 you know, we are sponsored, we are sponsored by Citadel 21, uh, which is Hodlnot's zine. 
Um, and we have a good relationship with him. We always have. Um, so I've been, I've heard more of the stories on a personal level and it's been, um, it's been extremely hard on the space cat, but he is, he understands the significance of this and what it represents and what it means. And he stepped up to the plate. He's put his own money behind this. And he really waited to the very, very last second before he asked the community for help. Um, the lawyers in the UK are extremely expensive. And yeah, man, it's, we, we really have to just kind of rally around him and help him out. But uh, it's, it's, uh, excuse my language. It's just bullshit. Like he's just bullshit. Like he's just, he has a bigger war chest and how not. And he's trying to use that to silence him. And in the process, sending a message to the entire community, dude, this, this guy was sending cease and desist letters to multiple exchanges to take the white paper off the exchanges because I don't know. Um, so yeah, man, that's, that's really where that stands. Yeah. And I mean, uh, yeah, I didn't know that you knew, uh, you know, space cat on a personal note, but you know, I think that at the end of the day, I think, you know, like you said, the overarching message is that, you know, the community is really rallying around him. And if you want to donate, uh, you know, feel free to go to defendingbtc.com and you can do that. That link's going to be in the show notes and in the, uh, you know, the comment section below too. So, you know, if you feel inclined, definitely go ahead and donate for the cause because yeah, like you said, like he's trying to silence like all Bitcoiners and anybody kind of standing against him. And it's, you know, truly a shame that, yeah, it's come to this point, but yeah, I mean, like I said, like he's not only sued Hoddlenot, he sued McCormick as well. And the UK court awarded a CSW one British pound and claimed that, you know, he used false evidence in court uh, for that def defamation suit. So hopefully, you know, fingers crossed that, uh, you know, Hoddlenot gets the same. Um, but, um, you know, obviously the legal battle can be, a strain on you, you know, not only mentally, but you know, your family and everything like that too. Like, I mean, it's definitely a, a tough time ahead. So, um, you know, he's fighting that fight. And, uh, I think there's, uh, the last seven days in court are starting on September 12th. So I know the community is going to be watching that really closely. Yeah, man. Um, they, there's a telethon, uh, starting tomorrow. Uh, I think we might stream it from our spaces, but yeah, it's, uh, it's very important. Um, again, this is an attack on all Bitcoiners. It isn't just an attack on the space cat. Um, and yeah, man, uh, let's see from what, from what Hodnots told me, um, he has really good case. He's, you know, picked up a lot of evidence and from what I've seen, CSW is just resorting to character attacks because he has nothing else to stand on. Um, but I mean, it's I think it's time for, you know, it's time for the it's the moment of truth, bro. Let, let's see where this goes. Let's let's see where this goes. But it's definitely a very significant case. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I you, you said it greatly. And so, uh, yeah, everybody get on that uh, telethon tomorrow and donate if you if you're able to, um, because, yeah, it's a, definitely a big, big case for the community. But let's move on to the next story. Um, so the Federal Reserve is having another meeting uh, this Friday on Jackson Hole. 
Um, and so this one's a little bit more anticipated, it seems like, uh, just because, you know, the, the Fed at this point, it's not an issue of, you know, are they going to raise rates? It's essentially like how much, right? So um, that's kind of been their move to try to uh, raise interest rates to combat inflation because, you know, we're in, we're in a very difficult time, you know, when it comes to especially like, you know, in the United States and globally where, you know, inflation's running ramp rampant, you know, gas prices are a lot higher than they were a year ago. Uh, food prices are higher, you know, rent, everything. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the, I think the latest fed fund futures showed that there was like a 51% chance of a 50 basis point hike next month. Um, and, uh, yeah, like right before the Wednesday's minute release, uh, uh, this past Wednesday, the rate futures had a factored in a 75%, uh, or 75 basis point rate hike. So, um, you know, I guess, my question is, is like, what do you think that the Federal Reserve should do at this point? Because in my opinion, it seems like it's more of a, you know, a supply issue more, more so than, you know, the monetary policy. Obviously, the monetary policy, you know, printing 60 percent of, uh, you know, the dollars in the past couple of years as extremely uh, big factor in all of it. But at the end of the day, you know, shutting down the world economy for months and, and years at a time did a lot more damage uh, or seemingly did, did damage that is like, you know, carrying over. And it seems like the feds almost in between like a rock and a hard place. Like, how do you think that they should go about this situation? And like, how do you view of the job that they're doing? I mean, look, they are in a tough position because Dude, they, 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 you know, they continue raising rates, man. And I think it's inevitable because they have to, because they have to control inflation or get inflation under control. And I don't think it's going to be a quick process. But if they continue raising rates, they're just going to crash, crash the U.S. economy, which, which is where I believe this is heading. Um, I think, I, I honestly think things are going to get a lot worse. I think we had a, like a summer rally. The stock market had a summer rally, and I think that like calmed a lot of people. But if you look at 2008, you look at you know the dot com crash, dude. There was like 50 percent rallies, 60 percent rallies, like you know. So I think that we are. I think we already are in a recession. It's funny how they try to redefine it, but I think we already are in one. Now the question is how bad things are going to get, but. If you look, for example, at the energy situation in Europe, and there, and it was totally caused because it was the energy policies that they picked those politicians over there, dude. Like, like it's it's like they're paying a record amount for their energy, and then you just like, okay, what does this have to do with the economy? How do you think the factories, you know, pay for the power, right? So it all trickles down. Um, not to mention the record inflation. I think the UK had over 10%, right? And their only weapon to this is, you know, to cool down the economy, to cool down spending. But if the economy is already in a terrible spot, dude, that's, that's the recipe for disaster. I think we all feel it in our guts, but I think it's hard to zoom out towards the macro level. Um, now, how do I think they've been handling it? Uh, 
dude, it's central banking. All central planning fails. <laughs> like it always does, dude. Like it can't be that some dude in DC literally gets to decide whether the US economy is booming whether it's not booming based on how much print how much money they're printing based on what is that it's insane to me like it's insane but i mean so people like that sometimes because people would rather have this centrally planned thing of frankenstein than endure business cycles you know they they would rather lessen the blow but i mean it's very short-sighted because then you need the money printer. If you have the money printer, then people that don't have the means to save in assets, like the lower and middle classes, dude, they're just going to continue getting poorer because the rich are just going to get richer because they have their money in assets, which benefit from the money printing. Right. But the lower and middle classes don't have that. So it's like, is, is trying to get rid of market cycles really worth it? If you have a central bank in your country, your country is halfway to a communist country already. It's the starting right there, right? So how communism always, communism always ends up one way. You know, of course you, everyone has you know, their political ideology and it's like, oh, socialism is whatever. Dude, look, fine. I'm I'm not trying to bash the left or do anything like that, but name me one successful communist country. Name me one. Now name me one successful capitalist country. It's not equal. It's not perfect, but it's night and fucking day. It's night and day, right? So I'm not a fan of central planning. I think it fa falls on its face. Central planning will never be better than millions upon millions of individuals making their own decisions and then that provides us a, a price signal to manufacturers to entrepreneurs it's like what to make what not to make there's this one guy in dc that is literally running the u.s economy to the point that he was able to print what 60 40 to 60 percent of the dollars that have ever existed and then that led to other people's savings being diluted the, the housing costs increased 100 percent over the period of 2021 2022 fuck that it's a terrible system now connect this with what i was talking about with the shit coining right ethereum will end up exactly the same because the issue right is that there's a group of people that think they know what's best but time and history has shown no so Bitcoin, what Satoshi did was incredible because he basically said, listen, the monetary policy is set in stone. And in order to change it, you need to convince everyone in the network to run what you're running. Good luck. So he figured out how to take the monetary policy out of the hands of human beings. Now, the, what the fault with the central bankers and the central planners is that they believe that they could do this best. Okay. Also, let's look at history. It's not a coincidence that the most violent century in human history happened to be the century of central banking. The largest crashes in the economy, the, to uh, 1929, 1980, 1970s, 2009, 92, or, or 99, all under central banking. So... They have no legs to stand on, bro. 
They have no legs to stand on. There is absolutely no reason why this thing needs to exist. So they're all praying. They're all playing pretend. Powell's playing pretend. Do you know that Powell? He was a lawyer. It's not even a banker. He's a lawyer. So a lawyer is running the U.S. economy. And look how it's ended up. And everybody is surprised by the results. What did you think was going to happen? And the reason the politicians are okay with this is because they have a money printer. It's like, oh, we want to go to war. We want to send $600 billion to Ukraine. We want to send $300 billion. We want to pay, oh, what, what the Biden administration did to buy votes before the midterms. We want to pay off all student loans. Okay. Print it. So why would politicians be against this? They love that shit. The central bankers fucking love that shit. So this is like secret secret alliance. Now with Bitcoin, I hope that it hope it wakes enough people up where they're just kind of like, yo, screw this racket. Screw this. Keep your political money. I don't care about Joe Biden. I don't care about Donald Trump. I'm going to opt out. I'm going to put my money in Bitcoin. 21 million. Can't be debased. Can't be easily confiscated. You guys could have fun with that and I'm going to do me, but it's funny because they can't have enough. They can't have a lot of people doing that because it just wakes people up, wakes people to the scam and it takes people out of the system. Christine Lagarde even said it. You can't have an escape valve and Bitcoin is this escape valve that they it's like not only could they they couldn't they can't shut it off. They can't take it away from people. So it's like they're just trying to like plug shit. Dude. I think I brought this up earlier. The United Nations released a report that said we must de-incentivize the adoption of cryptocurrencies in developing countries. <laughs> oh, man, they're fucking scared, dude. They're terrified. Yeah, those are my thoughts on Powell. Yeah, I mean, like 100%, right? They're, they're 100% scared of, you know, Bitcoin and everything that it does. And I think, you know, when it comes down to it, all of these entities, like you said, they're centralized. It's a few people believing that they can make decisions for many, right? And the thing that Bitcoin mastered, which I don't know if can ever be really be replicated, is the true decentralization of it, you know, the true the, and the digital scarcity, you know, that was the first thing that, you know, the theory behind the internet was like, it was everything was, you know, widespread and everything, you know, like you could essentially make up something out of thin air. But you know, Satoshi did something that, you know, I, I don't know if it can ever be replicated. And, you know, like you said, I, I think it's it's interesting how just one guy who, you know, Powell isn't even an elected official. So even like like you said, you know, right left, he was, you know, the Fed chairman under Trump and, he, you know, re, reinstated under Biden. And so, you know, at the end of the day, he's you know, he's played both sides and yeah, you, you, you want to get reelected if you're Powell's to stay in power. And so you're going to do whatever the president or, you know, that party essentially wants you to do. Right. So, um, you know, it's, it's kind of uh, it's, it's a tough place to be in and I don't envy his position at all, but it seems like, like you said, he's just kind of pulling these strings and the market in the U S economy just overall, like they react to it uh, just, like you said, there is like there is some short rallies. And I think it's interesting that, you know, we saw the, the market, the CPI print uh, of last month was eight and a half percent, which the expected or, you know, whatnot was like eight point seven or eight point nine or something. So it beat expectations, but it was still like eight and a half percent CPI, which is a manipulated number. 
right? And the market rallied that day. So it doesn't really seem to make any sense to me as to like, you know, what all of this is going on. And it's just like, you know, like you said, just one guy kind of controlling the overall economy. And, you know, you brought this up, but you know, President Biden is now announcing that there's student loan forgiveness. And the, the deal behind that is, you know, there's 10K is going to be removed of student loans of anyone that makes less than 125K and then 20K off of loans for anybody that received a Pell Grant. Um, you know, and, and like you said, it seems like it's conveniently timed to uh, right before midterm elections or, you know, right during that time. So um, it seems like these politicians are just kind of pulling these strings. But at the end of the day, like the, the average American is the one that gets hurt. Because, you know, where is this money going to come from, right? So now uh, that, that 10K, most of these student loans are, uh, you know, federal student loans issued out by the government. So they're going to have to get their money back somehow. So, you know, it's either going to be come at you for, from taxes or, or some other way. And, you know, the, they just announced as well that they're hiring, they're like doubling the size of IRS agents for audits. So, I mean, you know, it just seems like all this writing's on the wall and they're basically laying out the plan right in front of you of how they're going to do it. They're going to start to come at you, you know, whether it's uh, come at you for trying to ban Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies and just tax the shit out of you, essentially. So I don't know. I mean, I, I, I just really, like you said, I think that the, there's going to be a, a bloody way out of this. And I think that there's no way that the average American can really win unless they opt out and kind of f find their way towards Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, dude, Bitcoin is the hope, man. Um, the IRS thing was just like a slap in the face because <laughs> it's like we caused inflation because we printed too much money, but you peasant, you must pay. Like it, it's, it's the most comical, Oh, and then they have the gall to call it Inflation Reduction Act. Like, bro, bro. If there isn't a better example as to why, you know, we must end central banking, I don't know what. Like, central banking, I really, it's, yeah, central banking, politicians, and crow, but it's like an evil alliance. It's just, if you just simplify, you say, separate money from state. That's really what needs to happen. Like no politician should have the ability by passing a law that says we can print in a limited amount of money that everyone else has to work for. And in the process of printing all that money, it debases everyone else's money. No politician should have that power. No human being should have that power, which is what Bitcoin figured out. Hey, if you want one Bitcoin, you have to buy it, earn it and mine it. Doesn't matter if you are Nancy Pelosi does not matter you gotta earn it you gotta buy it or you gotta mine it it means you gotta spend proof of work bro cost energy cost money cost time right can't be that they just they're just creating thing and it, it's it's time theft they're stealing time and energy from everybody else it's it's this like self-fulfilling fucking prophecy now here's the thing right because these these people are maniacs if they give up that power and they just let Bitcoin win. They could benefit from it too. But no, no, they want to be totalitarians at the top of the pyramid dictating how everyone else should run their lives. It is the most fucking insane bullshit I've ever seen in my life. And Bitcoin doing its thing, just exposing United Nations. You're like, oh, the United Nations, you know, like they're good people. Nope. United States government, good people. Nope. 
It's like all the incentive. European Central Bank can't be that bad. Nope. <laughs> like it, it's like exposed after exposed after exposed after exposed. It exposes what they really want. They don't want the United Nations is prosperity for all human, you know, equality, all that shit. It's like, no, bro. Prosperity for all, as long as it's under your system. <laughs> if it's prosperity for all under another system, no, you can't have that. Like it is fucking crazy. It is crazy. Um, I, and I, and I suspect it's going to get worse. I suspect five, 10 years, like these next five, 10 years, you're going to see shit that you could have never imagined. There's this really famous saying that says there's decades that nothing happened. And then there's years that decades happen. And right now we are in the, we are in the beginning to middle of the fourth turning. The institutions that we used to trust are collapsing. Trust in them are collapsing. And I think on the other side, you're going to really see freedom of which humanity has never experienced before. It's going to be insane. But a lot of people stand to lose a lot because of that freedom. And is a book that I always recommend to people is if you want to know what's going to happen, uh, and it's been extremely accurate in predicting all this, read the book, the sovereign individual. It, it, it was so head on with its predictions. Um, and it used base the, uh, the theory of violence, right? So the way that the system is currently set up is the kind countries, nation states, however you want to call it, they've set up a system that is so effective at extracting wealth from its populace, from the productive, from its most productive citizens. And before Bitcoin, they didn't really have a choice but to put up with it. Now with the internet, where it's like, look, me and you are streaming. I don't know where you are. You don't know where I am. We're, you know, hundreds of miles away from each other. Fine. You could do work like that now. Now there's money that you could do that. So the location necessity that was an absolute 10, 20 years ago, not anymore. And this is just going to keep getting better, right? And now, let's say I'm in New York that has a crazy income tax. Peace. I'm going to go to a state that has lower income tax. You know, so, and that's just going to keep happening, right? And fine, you know, the poor people, the middle class, maybe they won't be able to move because they can't afford it. But the people that actually have the money, the people that actually own the companies, the, the wealthiest, and the, they'll just leave. So that that will force governments to realize, holy crap, we can't overtax because they're just going to leave. We have to incentivize these people to come. So instead of this serfdom relationship that governments have with their citizens today, I believe we're going to see a more customer relationship with citizens. You're already starting to see this a little bit. Texas, Florida, millions of migrants from New York and California. They just left. Tons of people coming to Puerto Rico because of the tax incentives over here. So I'm talking about. So New York and California, they're just going to like, squeeze 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 and like fine they're going to more collectivist approaches more redistribution approaches what and it's funny because people don't learn their lessons look, look what happened in eastern europe people were literally willing to get shot to escape communism in search of economic opportunity in search of freedom and now you can memorize a 12 word phrase and you could 
bring everything with you. They're so fucked. They don't even know it yet. They don't even know how fucked they are. Right now, they're in this bargaining phase where it's like, no, we can make the old system like we can make the new system like the old system. It's like, nope, nope, that's not how it works. So, but, but dude, they're very well capitalized. They have a lot of people believing into this idea of nationalism, nation statism, whatever. And this idea that the U.S. government is represents the people. No, 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 no. The U.S. government represents the U.S. government, period. Doesn't, re doesn't represent jack shit but itself. It ensures its own survival. It's a government run by the employees. It's not a government run by the people like we've been advertised. It's a government run by the employees. Now, with Bitcoin, if we do separate money from state, how are you going to go to war if you don't have a money printer? You actually have to convince people to put up the money so that you can go to war. Oof. Good luck. Good luck. Did you know that in the Middle Ages, the wars would end because the king would run out of money? They didn't have a money printer with the gold. How are you going to do that? It's the same concept, right? So, And I believe that we're going to see all of this in our lifetime. You seem young. So you still got maybe 40, 50 years ahead of you, 60 years. Dude, we're going to see this shit. And it's going to be like the world that we're heading into has absolutely no connection to the world that we grew up with, grew up in. You know, the 90s, 2000s, you know, it's like America and whatever. I love what America represents, but I strongly dislike the U.S. government. And I think that the fundamental issue with it is that the that fiat has corrupted um, the way that it works. It, 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 it misaligned the incentives. And I think that's really what we're witnessing now. We're seeing, you know, the collapse of an old bureaucratic institution that has grown to such a size that it's really self-serving and it's parasitic in nature, man. So I don't know. I went off, I went on a little bit of a rant, but yeah. No, I appreciate the rants. That's what this, these are for, for sure. But I mean, like, yeah, I, I agree with you a hundred percent on, you know, I, I love what the what America stands for, but the U S government, I just don't think stands for what America stands for. And it seems like a lot of people in power, uh, you, you know, just, just like you said, it's like, oh, sure, you know, American people can prosper, but only if it's under my, you know, influence and things like that. And, you know, I think we're kind of like at an interesting time right now, right? Because, um, you know, the, the popular saying that's going on around it in Twitter is like bear market toxicity, right? We're having a lot of Bitcoiners kind of come at a lot of these shit coiners who are, you know, shilling some of these scams and things like that. Um, and so like, you know, we're, we're having one scandal that's going on right now, BitBoy Crypto, he's suing Atzi, I don't know if I said that correctly, it's A-T-O-Z-Y, but anyway, uh, he made a video claiming that Bit, uh, BitBoy Crypto was scamming his fans um, after he pumped a token and it shot up to, I think, like $2.50 and now crashed down. But, um, you know, how do we kind of avoid this situation where, you know, now it's not just... Uh, you know, the government that's getting corrupt and just wanting to stay in power and keep that influence over people and kind of benefit from that influence. But it's now like, you know, these quote unquote influencers who have millions of followers and, you know, can just, 
you know, bring all these people into these pump and dump schemes? Like, how are we, you know, do you think that the toxicity just needs to continue to keep outing these people? Or do we just need to, I guess, not idolize as many of these people? Like, how do we kind of avoid this situation trickling down, not just from the government, but into like, you know, just everyday people that, you know, we see on media and news? I didn't you know, we have a saying, which is everyone has to pay their price of tuition. Um, most Bitcoiners I know started with shitcoining. I got a little bit lucky because I got into Bitcoin through mining. So I always had a deeper appreciation of proof of work, but I definitely dabbled in shitcoins in the beginning. But I think that, you know, burning your finger on the stove is the biggest lesson. And I think it's inevitable. Like people are... They're going to start asking questions. And one of the things, you know, a lot of people buy into the tech narrative and they see Bitcoins like Bitcoin's slow, can't do this, you know, and it needs to be upgraded. But again, like it all comes down to decentralization. It all comes down to what is the end goal here? What are we trying to accomplish? Um, and look, I, I, I look, unless you are a dev, an insider, you'll eventually become a Bitcoin maxi. I it just I really fundamentally believe that if if you've been maybe two or three years in this space, maybe you still have hope that that one shit coin that you're holding will pump. But most people, they, you know, they they humble themselves and they start to realize, holy crap, I, if I just bought Bitcoin from the very beginning, I would have a lot more Bitcoin right now. And I didn't have to do all those circle jerks. I mean, all that all that all that mental gymnastics of buying said shitcoin A and said shitcoin B and having a portfolio of shitcoins <laughs> and then thinking about whatever. Yeah, you might get lucky, of course, but you realize that you what you're doing is playing the casino, right? Um, so yeah, the casino, you could win, right? But you could also lose. So, and what I've noticed is that, dude, 95 to 99% of people would have just been better off if they just bought Bitcoin. Just buy Bitcoin, stay humble, stack sats. Odell says it perfectly. And just literally put it into cold storage, forget about it. And come back maybe two cycles later, about eight years. You're going to look back to relatively to where you started. You're going to look back and you're like, holy fuck. I can't believe I have that much purchasing power. And the beauty of it is it just keeps going. And so it's like four, it's like eight years, 12 years. You look back, you're like, holy shit. So I had this Bitcoiner on Simply Bitcoin. We had a mining panel. It was great. It was with uh, Ben. I can't pronounce his last name, but he's the chief mining officer at Bitfarms. Um, we had Marshall Long, OG Bitcoiner. This dude was mining Bitcoin off his laptop when the subsidy reward was 50 Bitcoin. And he didn't know this thing was going to be worth $22,000 a coin. It was worth maybe dollar, $10, $20 at the time. And with Guzman Pintos, he uh, he works at Luxor Mining. Dude, and bro, people underestimate how high this thing could go. People underestimate Bitcoin and its performance. It, people get lost in the day-to-day and there's also a very strong unit bias, right? Which is why a lot of to, to kind of tie it up with your question. That's why a lot of these uh, influencers are so successful because you look at Bitcoin, you're twenty two thousand, bro. Reality is most people can't own one Bitcoin now. It's it's out of out of price. The next having, 
Dude, 99.9% of people can't buy a Bitcoin. Um, and that's extremely demoralizing to people because they're like, yo, I could buy 100 XRP. What if XRP gets to the price of Bitcoin one day? What if Ethereum gets to the price of Bitcoin one day? And, you know, they, they start coming up with these ideas, right? Dude. You know? So the unit bias is strong. I like the community's effort to, like, kind of make sats a thing. Because then sats makes it feels a whole lot better. There's 100 million sats in one Bitcoin, right? And then you're like, yo, I have 2 million sats. That feels great. And then you're looking at like, what if a sat reaches a million? Now you're thinking, you know? So it's like, or sorry, what if one one sat reaches $1, one sat $1 parity? You're just like, holy crap, you know? So I think it's a psychological thing. It's a matter of people not understanding the importance of decentralization. So it's a variety of things, but Bitcoin maximalism I actually did a panel on this. Um, it's a feature, not a bug. It's a decentralized immune system of Bitcoin. It will attack you savagely. Sometimes it attacks its own, right? It's happened to me a couple times. But it does keep you honest. Does it, 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 it force it, it calls out the scams so savagely that people can't unless you have high integrity, unless you're being honest about your intentions, these people will find you out and they will expose you. And that's really what I like about it. I really appreciate that feature of Bitcoin maximalism. Some people don't like it. Some people do like it. I think it, I think it has, it serves a purpose. It's not perfect, but I definitely think it's absolutely necessary. Yeah. And I think it's just, you know, I I've heard, I've heard the positives and negatives of it. You know, I've heard somebody say like, Hey, you know, somebody came at me on Twitter about, you know, X token. And I actually, then it like, was like, I was like, Oh, screw this guy, but maybe they're right. So I'll look into it. And then they looked into it and it stopped them from shit coining. Or, you know, I've heard the other thing, other side of the coin where it kind of turns people off of Bitcoin initially. But, you know, I think at the end of the day, like you said, it's a feature, not a bug. And it's a lot of Bitcoiners just kind of, you know, trying to help you not make the same mistakes that they made previously. But, you know, I think, like you said, at the end of the day, a lot of times it just take, it takes getting burned uh, yourself, which is kind of unfortunate. But, you know, it's it's failure is the best teacher. Right. So, I mean. You know, you could have somebody coach you through it as much as possible. But at the end of the day, some people are just going to dabble in them and uh, think that they can beat it. But, you know, I think you mentioned it earlier. A lot of the Bitcoiners that you meet that, you know, maybe are a couple years, uh, you know, farther ahead in their journey uh, than you or, or whatnot, they, they have that, you know, I guess, peace and sense of, you know, where all they need to do is just stack stats and then chill, right? DCA and chill, just focus on doing that and, you know, just having more Bitcoin the next day than you had the day before. And, uh, you know, trust that eventually, you know, number go up, you, you put it away for eight years or so, a couple cycles, you come back and check and it's uh, going to be a lot more uh, purchasing power than you had when you first, you know, bought that Bitcoin. So I think uh, at the end of the day, it, it, it takes some people getting burnt, but, you know, hopefully through this bear market, a lot of people are, are learning and kind of seeing what's going on in the overarching space and seeing like, Hey, a lot of these people and even like, you know, larger companies are kind of focusing more so on Bitcoin than any other, you know, shit coin. And so, you know, kind of on that note, Samsung securities is now, uh, you know, filing to, 
create an exchange in South Korea. So Samsung is the largest company out of South Korea. They're partnering with Mirai. I'm not sure if I'm saying that correctly. Asset Securities, which is the largest investment bank by market cap. So we have a lot of big players kind of coming in. Granted, they're doing it on exchanges where, you know, we saw BlackRock last week or maybe the week before kind of partner with Coinbase where they're, they're kind of dabbling a little bit in these shit coins. But you know, at the end of the day, I think like the underlying message is these big giant companies are seeing that this thing isn't going away. And they're, they're going to wake up to the fact like, hey, it's, it's Bitcoin and Bitcoin only. Maybe they're, these big companies are going to dabble in some of these shit coins as well and kind of get burnt. But I think, you know, all, a lot of these big companies are going to start to do some more research and their own due diligence and kind of figure out what the average club has figured out. So, you know, what do you think of uh, you know, a lot of these big institutions coming in and finding their way into, you know, the Bitcoin space and maybe the, the underarching crypto world? What do I think? Um, I mean, I think it was an, an, an inevitability. Um, the It's funny because Larry Fink, Jamie Dimon, Jamie Dimon is the CEO of JP Morgan. They were all very highly critical of Bitcoin and, you know, it was never going to amount to anything. But, dude, the incentives, bro, like it's the, the incentives are irresistible. Like it, it, you can. Yeah, you could say that for a while. But then the, the reality is that your clients are going to start asking you questions. Why don't you offer this? Um, and that's just the reality, you know, and that's really what we're witnessing. BlackRock has $9.5 trillion under assets. It's, it's extremely powerful and influential company. The fact that they're getting into Bitcoin is massive. Um, but I think that people don't understand the significance of it. Uh, maybe in two, three, four years, they'll start to be like, yo, what the fuck? Um, but right now, we're in this bear market. Everyone's doom and gloom. Um, so I, I don't, it's very difficult for people to see over the horizon, so to speak. Yeah, no, I agree with you a hundred percent there too. And I think it's interesting too, cause I, I had a little talk about this with tone, um, when, when this happened, when we were at the financial summit and his point was he was, he was surprised that they got in because, you know, for a firm such as big as BlackRock, you know, and as uh, the market cap of Bitcoin for them is just, it doesn't really move the needle. So, you know, they must have either really seen the technology and like the underarching. No, I, I disagree. I disagree. It has nothing to do with that, dude. It has to do with they don't want to lose clients. <laughs> like, that's the reality, bro. Like they, don't, they just don't want to lose clients. And it's like, if we don't offer this, they're an index fund, bro. So it's like, if they don't offer this, those people are going to go somewhere else. So that's really what it does. It, it's they're ensuring their own relevance, their own survival. That's what it was about. They don't give a flying fuck about Bitcoin. OK, they don't care. They're just like, I don't want to lose clients like this. is what's always been about. And that's why Bitcoin always wins the incentives. Right. And all they have left on the other side is coercion. Like, oh, it's not a, it's it's a danger to financial stability. All the fucking spin and propaganda, dude. That's all they fucking have. They don't have anything else. So it's like at one point, at what point it's like they're standing in solidarity. This is bad. You know, fuck Bitcoin. But then it gets to a point where it's like, do you guys want to make money? And then the ranks start to break and it's like, yeah, well, it sucks. 
but we want that we want those clients we want those clients to stay with us and feel like they could buy bitcoin through us now it's very dangerous because people should be taking self-custody that's the revolution but i mean it's better i guess i think it's gonna get like catlin long touches upon this a lot the dangers of rehypothecation um paper bitcoin i don't think we're at a hundred thousand i don't think we reached a hundred thousand because of paper bitcoin right like it they're 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 constantly making more bitcoin than exists the government successfully suppressed the gold market for decades doing this and i think they're, they're going to try to do the same with bitcoin unless enough people take self-custody right so anyways no i hey you make a great point there so uh, you know i i, I think uh that that, uh, you know, everything you, you said there ma makes a whole lot of sense. And I didn't really think about it on that aspect, too. And, you know, the the thing that I guess it stands out to me then, too, is like not only do they not want to lose clients, that it makes me believe that they've already lost clients. And some of these high net worth individuals are, are essentially demanding it. Right. Because at the end of the day, they got to make these people that have a lot of money with them happy. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that's a really interesting point. And, you know, I think. Um, that just means more and more people are demanding it. So you got to make those customers happy. Um, Dude, 100 million percent. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, the last story, we're going to wrap it up here. So I'm in, I'm in Austin right now for BitBlock Boom. So if you haven't heard of it, it's the, I, th I mean, from, from my perspective, it's like the, the biggest, I guess, Bitcoin only conference uh, that, that I've heard of. Because, you know, as big as Bitcoin Miami is, there is a, a little bit of, you know, shit coinery that goes around there. And it is a great event, so I don't want to undermine it or, or thing or anything like that. But, um, you know, BitBlock Boom is, is here in Austin. There's a lot of side events. Um, you know, there's Pleb, open la uh, Pleb Lab open house tomorrow. Um, there's a lot of stuff going on in the Bitcoin Commons. Oshi had a block party last night on Wednesday. Um, so there's a lot of stuff going on in Austin. Um, but, you know... There's been a few geographical hubs previously, you know, that, that come to mind, maybe like a Silicon Valley, um, where a lot of people are kind of coming together and almost being a little centralized in like one hub, one area, one location. Um, do you see Austin kind of building towards that? And do you see that as like maybe a positive or a negative, you know, for the Bitcoin space going forward? Yeah, uh, BitBlock Boom is awesome. Uh, Gary's a friend of mine. He asked us to do, uh, we're hosting the Twitter spaces for them on Saturday. Um, Simply Bitcoin is a uh, great, great conference. One of my favorite, very, very toxic, very maxi. Um, yeah, I think uh, Austin's going to be the energy, Bitcoin energy capital of the world. And I think that Nashville is going to be the Bitcoin cultural capital of the world. Um, Odell is working on an awesome project over there called Bitcoin Park, Bitcoin TV, Bitcoin Mag is also headquartered there. Um, so I really think it's going to be between Austin and Nashville. Um, I love Nashville, uh, more fan of at Nashville than I am of Austin. Nothing against Austin in particular. I just, uh, I don't know. I think it's a matter of taste and I'm also in media. Um, so I think Nashville is more of a media hub, whereas in Austin is more energy slash mining hub. Um, it was also kind of a tech hub before that. Um, so, I mean, I think it's just a matter of taste. Um, I think that if you're a Bitcoiner, Austin is great. Nashville is great. Um, if you're really looking for opportunity, 
I just really like Puerto Rico, dude. The the tax incentives are just. Do you really want to pay twenty percent to the government? Like that's the question that I have to ask for you. If the answer is yes, then so be it. Live in Austin, live in Asheville. But my answer is no. Fuck that shit. Um, look at them, dude. Look at them. Okay, like, look at what they're doing. You really want to pay those motherfuckers twenty to thirty, forty percent of your income? Like no. So what do you do? You have to do it around legally. You can't just you know not pay your tax. You're, they're gonna put you in a box, right? So I mean, like yeah, and and that, that's what I love about Puerto Rico is the tax incentive, right? Um, and I, and I've seen a tremendous amount of Bitcoiners move here because of that. So let's see, man. Let's see. I, I, I really think that the theory from the sovereign individuals playing out, you're going to see people just going to go where they're treated best. I think that the taxes, the taxes, the way that we know it, aren't going to be viable long term because more and more people are going to wake up to the fact of like, I could just move somewhere else and pay very little. Like, why am I doing this? Um, pay very little legally. So, yeah, I think this is going to continue to play out. I think the Internet is just going to continue getting better and faster. And, dude, we're going to be streaming in 4K in 10 years, like, without a doubt in my mind, right? So it's like, then what is the point of you being there? It's like the people interaction, fine, you can make that. But then COVID really made everything remote. I don't know. I, I know I went a little long on that answer, but, yeah, Austin's dope. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I feel you. But, I, I mean, I agree with you, too, on the on the tax you know, um, kind of incentive stuff too, because I, I grew up in Austin. I bring this up a lot on the show, but, uh, you know, just being out here right now for Bitblock boom, it's, it's almost a little depressing kind of the way that I've seen the city go. I mean, I've, you know, I moved here with my family and what was it like 96, 97 or something. So we were here, um, you know, 25 years ago at this point. So, um, yeah, it's changed a whole lot. You know, I was just on Rainy Street a little bit earlier today, and it used to be this kind of cool street with a bunch of houses that turned from uh, that turned into bars. And now it seems like every other house is getting torn down, and uh, condominiums are going up like sky high and everything like that. And you know, there's homeless population everywhere, kind of downtown and and construction everywhere. So, I mean, I think that there's a lot of positives going on in the Bitcoin space. I just I'm just not, I guess, fully confident that, you know, the governmental policies, uh, what they're doing locally is, uh, you know, maybe beneficial for the city as a whole. Or maybe I'm just being nostalgic right now and uh, missing like the city that I kind of grew up in. I don't know. I mean, I like Austin. I do really like Nashville as well. So um, I think like overall, I think it's good to kind of have that interpersonal react uh, interaction. Um, I do think that, you know, that's been kind of lost a little bit with COVID. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know if you necessarily need to live in those cities in order to get that, you know, like, of course, like you said, you and I were, were in different places. We met so, I mean, at, at another conference. So look, I mean, the, the tax thing, uh, maybe on a year by year level, it's not a big deal. But if you start compounding how much money you pay to the government, it's an absurd amount of money. What are they doing with that money? They could just print it anyways. I don't know, man. Like, that's kind of where I'm at in my head. Um, but again, some people kind of like that. Like, they like the... Uh, they like the, you know, the commodity, the commodity and being with people and being whatever. But 
I think it really comes down to taxes, bro. Like it's like, dude, the Puerto Rico with Act 20 and Act 22, uh, you pay a fraction, you know, of what you would pay regularly. Legally, of course, it's all over the table. It's all kosher. Like, bro, like, you know, like, eh. <laughs> I don't know, man. Like, it, 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 it's such a crazy idea. Like, you know, when I was living in Florida, like, dude, like, I was like, this is normal. Like, this is just how it's the way it is. And then my girlfriend was the one that lived here and she incentivized me slowly. She's like, okay, Nico, come here, come here, whatever. Then I finally came here and then I started experiencing it. And I was like, holy crap. I can't believe that, you know? So maybe it's a conditioning thing, bro. Like maybe we're just grow up and it's like, dude, it's totally normal to give 20% of your, which means that if you take a year, 20% of the year, you were working for the government. You were working for Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> Fuck that. I don't know. Just, just some thoughts. Hey, man, uh, you know, America was kind of founded on the taxation without representation kind of stuff, right? The Boston yeah. Tea Party and all that. They, uh, they rallied over a lot less than uh, 20 to 30% in taxes, and that's for sure. But, um, you know, on that note, Nico, you've been very generous with your time, so I really appreciate it. Um, so thanks so much for coming on. Why don't you tell people why, uh, what you got going on and where they can find you? Yeah, uh, Simply Bitcoin it goes live every day, 12.15 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Monday through Saturday. Um, we stream on Twitter Spaces with Swan Bitcoin, and we also stream on YouTube, on Rumble, and on Bitcoin TV. You can find us there. Uh, yeah, man, uh, just keep going. Stay humble, stack sats. We're going to win this, but it's definitely going to get a little rough, a little bit bumpier for sure. Yeah, I mean, on that note, it, it might. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think Bitcoin kind of fixes it. Right. So just keep stacking and uh, yeah, listen to listen to simply Bitcoin and uh, get educated and figure out, uh, you know, some ways that you can, uh, you know, be individually sovereign. So on that note, uh, that's it for the State of Bitcoin podcast. Thanks for coming out.